0: Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verses 6 through 13 and 22 through 24. Um, If you'd like to follow along, you can find it on page 6 in your church bulletin. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. When the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid them from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, "'Where are you?' He answered, "'I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked.'" So I hid, and he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life.
1: Let's pray together. God, we are asking that you would come and be near to us, which really is more than we can ask, except that you've promised it, that when we gather around your word and when we dare to believe and receive what you have in store for us, that we really can hear from the God of the universe. And if that's possible and if that's probable and if that's a promise we pray that you would come by your spirit and change our hearts grab a hold of us and show us not only a clear vision of ourselves and all of our need for you but an even clear vision of you and all of your provision for us in christ we desperately need to see you and to believe and so come We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but occasionally I'll have that dream, you know, that dream. The one where you will find yourself in the middle of the produce section of the grocery store, or maybe it's surrounded by co-workers, or maybe it's in an auditorium, and somehow, somehow, inexplicably, you don't know where your clothes went you are naked, exposed, uncovered. It's never literally happened to me. I don't think. (laughs) Feels real, though, doesn't it? And all too familiar. Which is why that final statement in the end of Genesis chapter 2 which we last looked at two weeks ago, the last word about what was right with the world before sin and evil screwed everything up is so stunning and so attractive and yet also so foreign. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame they were fully seen and fully known without feeling afraid, without feeling exposed. Isn't that what we all long for? To know that people can peer in and for us to know that we're okay, loved, accepted, naked, without shame. But then of course sin entered the world. Everything got jacked up. We were alienated from God, from others, from creation, from the physical world around us and even from ourselves, which is our focus today. We see this in verse 7 that after taking from the fruit rebellion against God as sin and evil and brokenness enters the world and rushes in like a hurricane. We're told the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. And in the second half of verse 8, they hid. For the first time, they hid. There was no hiding before this point. They hid. Are you hiding? From the Lord God, from each other among the trees of the garden. Verse 10, Adam answered, I heard you, God, in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You see, originally, we were made to be whole. We were made integrated people. And now we're falling apart, as it were, disintegrated. We were at peace with even ourselves, and not to mention other people. We were at peace with ourselves, but now we're at war. Uh, with myself. You feel that way sometimes. Uh, We knew ourselves, but now we feel like we're staring at a stranger even when looking in the mirror. Strangers to our own reflection. Maybe not such a mystery given that we were made in God's image and yet when that image is vandalized and ruptured, suddenly we don't know who we are. We were made to be secure in relationship. Now we are deeply insecure. We experience fear and shame and unhappiness, guilt, a loss of identity, anxiety, substance abuse and depression. There's a lot of stuff that's happening in our human disintegration. But today I want to focus just on one One that is all too often neglected, forgotten, not enough in our vocabulary, conversation, and meditation. And that is the experience of shame. In fact, in Western society, we're more or less clueless on this point. Not on the experience, it's universal. This is actually reflected in the Bible. In one translation of the book of Psalms alone, the word shame occurs close to 40 times. The experience of it is universal. Every person in this room, but it's not a normal part of our self-understanding, is it? When was the last time you had a conversation with a friend or a group or with God about shame? In fact, this is a... Particular weakness of Western society. There are other cultures around the world, and those some represented it represented even in this country that are much more attuned to the idea of shame. Yet another reason why it's good for us to be in mixed company, making up for blind spots and weaknesses that each of us might have. Different cultures, different peoples that see things that we don't see, even seeing us in ways that we don't see ourselves. But what is shame? What are we talking about here? What is it? Here's one counselor's definition. His name is Ed Welch, wrote a wonderful book on the topic. Listen, shame, he says, is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you. You feel exposed and humiliated. See, we see different components of shame in this story. There's that self consciousness that Adam and Eve are overcome with. Uh, Your eyes are opened to the gaze of others. There's that feeling of exposure, feeling like you're naked, realizing that in fact you are naked. There's fear, there's hiding. Shame is the feeling of being an outcast like you don't belong. Uh, The feeling of being vulnerable and seen. It's the feeling of being dirty, unclean. Uh, Shame is feeling like faces are turned towards you, staring at you like you're hideous. Shame feels like a magnifying glass, a peephole, a wardrobe malfunction, a spotlight. Shame is the boogeyman that says, you're not good enough. You know it. Your spouse left you. You didn't finish school. You're not great at reading or writing. You lost your job. You're not good enough. Something's wrong with you. The boogeyman that kind of points out to you that that thing that happened when you were young that makes you feel undesirable or unlovable or, or maybe even just plain different. Not pretty enough, not attractive enough, not cool enough, sort of that proverbial experience of the last person, last kid picked on the team, waiting by the fence on the playground. Or that young person knowing that there's no one else in all of the school that wants to go with him or her to the prom. It's the experience of children that feel like they're always punished, always just railed on, never never forgiven, never encouraged, growing up with a sense that nothing they do is good enough. Something must be wrong with me. You feel like you stand out as noticeably different, maybe physically, maybe educationally, maybe financially, even racially. You see, it's why racism's destructiveness isn't just the power of hate, it's also the power of shame. Shame isn't the same thing as guilt, though. We're better at understanding guilt. I've done something wrong, something bad. Shame isn't the same thing as guilt. Guilt is, uh, I made a mistake. Shame is, I am a mistake. Uh, You see, it's why you can experience guilt and you can know that you're forgiven and still feel dirty and unaccepted. It's amazing how you can sort of milk even this one line we find here in Scripture that Adam uttered so deep and profound. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Where do you see it, dear friends, in your life? Oh, even to ask that question, I know, makes you want to hide. (laughs) It's not a comfortable thing to talk about, to think about, to engage with. It can really make a lasting impression on us, can't it? I know for myself, one of my earliest memories of experiencing shame also happens to be one of my earliest experiences of racial exclusion and racial self-awareness. I might have been about six or seven years old, right at that time when you're starting to develop a sense of self and hanging out with different boys in the playground, always wondering, of course, if you fit in or not in being the object of some mockery. I don't even remember why it was. They were friends of mine, and one of the kids said, no, you can't play with us. You have Korean balls. Which makes absolutely no sense. Of course, being seven years old, it makes no sense at all. But if you can imagine, suddenly, like Adam and Eve, my eyes being opened, beginning to understand that I was different, other, ashamed. Or maybe also for me, growing up with this persistent message of the wonder of my potential. Your potential and all that, that you will be one day and can be and look at how God has blessed you and all wonderful encouragement, of course, with all good intentions. And yet, of course, when your identity becomes your potential, you start to wonder if you are anything now. And today, is there something wrong with me that doesn't make me acceptable or worthy in the present and not just in the future? Have I ever arrived? Am I good enough now? Or experiencing myself in my own sexual brokenness and wrestling with this and being in different religious Christian communities that certainly saw this area of life and brokenness as far worse and far more tainting, than other areas of life and living for many years with a sense of impurity, just being unclean, irrevocably and irretrievably unclean. Some of you, you you know, you're hearing this and you say, I I know this is just a, a huge part of my daily life. I just never knew what it was called. Friends, it's called shame. And we're getting there, but do you know, you don't have to live a slave to it. There is freedom and covering and release and life and redemption, and it's found in Jesus. But what do we do? What do we need to do to get over our shame? What, what do we try to do first of all? Well, what we try to do is, we'll do what we need to do, which is to try to cover ourselves, just cover and we see this with Adam and Eve immediately. Verse 7, they realized that they were naked, so what did they do? So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And, and how, how, how instructive it is to hear those words and to understand that all of humanity now, exposed as we have been, we've been stitching together fig leaves To cover ourselves ever since. It might be the fig leaves of performance and achievement. It might be the reason why you're trying so hard to prove yourself in your work or your friendships. To show your worth and value to cover the shame. It might be why we find ourselves in unhealthy relationships Uh, doing things that we know are destructive to us because it makes us feel more desirable or attractive, covering the shame. Or maybe the way in which shame in those same relationships give us a a degraded sense of self-worth. And so, heck, I mean, what difference does it make how he or she treats me and whether I'm treated like trash The way in which we use words sometimes as fig leaves to cover our nakedness. The way we lie to try to show that we're not exposed as we are. We just can't handle it. The way we spin the truth or exaggerate whether our accomplishments or our intentions. The way in which we boast to make ourselves look more honorable or valuable. The way in which we become defensive Uh, don't dare, look here, stop. I didn't do that. Or the way we counterattack with blame. Well, what are you looking at? Have you seen yourself lately? (laughs) Turning it back on them. Some of our most violent words and actions come from a place of shame. Shame. Fig leaves that we use to cover ourselves. It might be money. It might be drugs or alcohol. It can be even positive thinking that just doesn't last. That you make yourself feel better by a little bit of pep talk. But those leaves just dry up and fall off, don't they? They're brittle and coarse and they don't stay on. They have a lot of cracks and seams. And in the end, they don't work. We stitch our self-worth and our security to these things. But they're simply not enough. Nothing can fill the void on our hearts. Nothing can fill our need for a deeper kind of security. Fill that deeper hunger in our heart that nothing but a relationship, a restored relationship with God can fill us. And part of that is because we know that part of us knows that even though there is such thing as toxic shame as we've been talking about it, we know that there is some truth to some of it. We don't just feel filthy. I I am morally filthy. I, I don't just feel unworthy. I am unworthy in many respects, in deep and profound sorts of ways, and yet we walk around With duct tape around us and Elmer's glue, staples piecing together whatever we can to conceal the gaze of God and other people. We have before us in this passage and in the mirror a pitiful picture, don't we? Of fig leaf futility. And yet there's good news. There's good news. What is the cure for our shame? Dear naked ones, God covers you. God covers you. In verse 21, we're told that at the end, even as Adam and Eve were being ushered out, banished from the garden, from the presence of God, the consequences of their own self-banishment before God in their rebellion and sin, even there, the riches of God's grace and mercy, the Lord were told. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Giving them something better, something more attractive than those old fig leaves. Something more durable, more protective, more permanent than those fig leaves. And yet we know animal skins are just animal skins. And even in that time, surely they were messy, maybe even bloody. It was a better solution, sure, but it too wasn't a perfect one. Not a forever one a solution to physical nakedness, maybe, but a solution to the nakedness of our souls, well, that was still outstanding, wasn't it? Surely this could only be but a a, a foreshadowing, a preview of a better garment, of a more perfect wardrobe given by none other than Christ himself. And we see this promise worked out through Scripture again and again and again. Jesus, who himself, we're told, is the author and perfecter of our faith, Hebrews 12, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. This Christ, who was humiliated, Acts 8:33, humiliated. And received no justice. You see, what is shame? What, what really is shame? Shame is being misunderstood. Even when you only preached and spoke truth your entire life. Shame is being insulted even when you did no wrong. Shame is when you're betrayed even by your dearest followers. Shame is when your very relationship with your best friend is denied by him under pressure. Shame is being accused and condemned for something you didn't do and then being mocked and laughed at for it. Shame is being abandoned and stripped naked on a busy road to Jerusalem. Shame is being crucified, cursed, and cut off by God, treated like a hell-deserving sinner, though you are the beauty of all eternal righteousness. Shame is what Jesus bore for you and for me. Hallelujah. His shameful death covers your nakedness, friends. Extinguishes shame's power to define you and degrade you. You are not what shame tells you you are. You are clothed in the Son of God promised after promise that we have, even in the Old Testament as we had, but only a, a glimmer and a foreshadowing of who he one day would be. In places like in Isaiah 61, when we're told, I delight greatly in the Lord, my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. Zechariah 3, 4, when God turned to the prophet Joshua and he declares over him, See, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. Galatians 3 tells us finally what these garments are and rather who these garments are. You are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Dear friends in Jesus, you are not naked any longer. You are clothed. You are not stained and filthy. You are clean and you are given the status of highest worth and value and honor. You are called a son or daughter. You see in the ancient world, garments were a way of displaying one's inheritance. It's why at the end of the well-known parable of the prodigal son, this boy who offends his dad, treats him like he's dead, goes off, wastes his life, comes back begging for mercy only to be Surprised by the kindness of his father who runs out ahead of him, kisses him, interrupts the apology, puts on the credit card, I mean a ring, back onto his finger and throws his royal robe upon him which is another way of publicly saying, this is my son. You are my son, my daughter. Oh beloved one, don't be ashamed any longer. You're clothed and covered in the garments of Christ. We struggle with shame and yet we need to be told again and again your God is not ashamed of you. Hebrews 11:16 saying of those who live by faith in Christ, God is not ashamed to be called your God. And again, in Hebrews 2, verse 11, talking about Jesus, so committed is he to you by covenant as he clothes you and covers you. Jesus is not ashamed to call you my brother. My sister, you are not just loved, you're clothed, you are not just forgiven, you are covered. The words of Isaiah 54, fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Do not be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He's your Redeemer. The Holy One of Israel. The God of all the earth. Dear friends, sons and daughters of the King, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have indeed clothed yourself with Christ. Let's pray. And so we bring all of our trembling nakedness before you, Father. Some of us, we barely know where to start. And yet what we have before us are just loads of promises that just might give us the courage to bring ourselves back to you. For some of us, maybe for the first time, we've been looking, looking, covering, fig leafing, driving ourselves into the ground, and yet here we have you offering garments of beauty, of righteousness, of salvation, of Jesus. Give us faith to receive. Give us faith to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. Let's ponder it by singing.
2: Be to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. Till all the ransom, Church of God. I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds alive. Redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. And shall be till I die. Till I die, has been my being, and shall be till I die, and shall be till I die.